Thank you, Zip. Well, last week we looked at Ephesians 1 through 3, and we asked the question, who are we, right? And when we believe and trust in the work and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. We change, right? And so we looked at Ephesians and said, in that change, or when we trust and believe, what happens? Well, we, we are loved by God. We're saved from death to life. That we're God's handiwork or his masterpiece. And that we're part of a larger body. And that's who, who we are in, in Christ. And today we're going we're gonna to pick up from there. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. In the transition that Paul brings here with Ephesians. Ephesians chapter uh, 4 verse 1. I'm reading from the uh, ESV. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We know it's a transition because he uses the word therefore, right? That's always an indication that what he said before means because from one thing to the next thing, therefore. Now, what what does he mean, live a life worthy of your calling? I think it's a great question to ask before we jump into this. And basically it means to live a life compatible, uh, comparable to who you are. That you're walking in step with who you claim to be. That your behavior fits who you are. Let me give you an example because we, we actually believe this in all walks of life. This isn't just a Christian um, uh, idea. Let me give you an example. Um, I was thinking of Jim yesterday because four years ago we went to a Red Sox game. And in 2011, the Red, Boston Red Sox, I mean, it, they were uh, predicted to be an amazing team. And uh, for various reasons, won't go into all of it, by the end of the season, their, their season fell apart. And three of the pitchers, whose names you see here, were accused of drinking beer, eating fried chicken, and playing video games instead of supporting their team. Now, there's a lot of argument over whether that was fact or whatnot, and that doesn't matter. For my point this morning, the thing is that the fans were upset because this is not behavior that matches a professional athlete on a team. And in reality, it caused the fans to say it's okay if the Red Sox want to clean house and fire their manager and and change things because that's not acceptable behavior. That's not behavior worthy of a professional athlete. So we had an expectation that they would walk in accordance with who they were. Another example that would be today we have a lot of protests happening around the country over what? Over over police. You see there's some police officers who have who have acted outside of what they're really expected to act. Whatever that is, they've used excessive force, they've, they've done different things, and then there's protest against that, like, hey, they're, they're behaving in a way which they shouldn't. They're supposed to, to serve and protect and uphold the law, and they're operating outside of that, and, and we don't want it anymore. So there's an expectation that they walk worthy of who they are. 
right? And really that's all around us. We have expectations on our spouses that they would walk, they would live in a manner that's worthy of who they are in accordance of, of, of being a spouse. We would never uh, expect that our spouse is out flirting with other people and not us, right? Like there's just this behavior that should match who we are. And, and this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, hey, I just laid out for you who you are in Christ. Therefore, let's live in accordance with who we are. Let's live in such a way that we, we are in step with and synonymous with who we claim we are in Christ. So that's the thing. Live a life worthy of your calling, of who you are. That God has called us to this. So let's live a life in step with it. And so this morning we're going to we're going to look at this. We're going to ask the question, in light of who we are, what, should, what do we do? In light of who we are, what do we do? Now, a few, couple of notes before I, I jump into this this morning is, there's, there's really a lot of information to cover here this morning. So we're, I'm today just going to talk in a broad picture and present the four things that Ephesians shows us here. And over the next three or four weeks, we're, we're kind of going to dive in and give you a little bit more detail and develop those uh, in a bigger and greater way. So uh, just keep in mind that if you go today, you're like, wow, he really just kind of over that. We just don't have the time to, to do it all today. Um, the other thing is this. When we think of our lives and who we are, and when we ask the question, what do we do? There are really three entities at play here that have to be considered. Uh, it's God, who exists in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, there's you, the individual. And then there's the larger body of Christ. And when we talk about what is it that we do... Uh, all of those things kind of intersect and flow in and out. You, you can't divorce one of them from what you do. They all affect the other entities. And so you can't say, well, it's just about me and Jesus, and I don't care about the larger body. Or you can't just serve the larger body and not care about yourself or, or motivate and obviously you can't remove God from it and, and focus on you and just the church and forget about God. That everything that we do kind of just, it's, it's like a plate of spaghetti. It all touches. You can't separate it nice and neat like, like I do when I eat. I, I make sure that my peas don't mix with my mashed potatoes, that don't mix with my meat. I, I keep it separated. And other people in my family just put it all together and, and eat it. But it's not possible in this instance to separate. It all touches each other. And so even though there might be something that has a heavy focus on you as an individual, if you act and respond in that way, it's going to affect the larger body, whether you want it to or not. And so it just, just keep that in mind uh, today and really always, but as we march through and what we're supposed to do and in, in how we live, that all of these things affect each other. So let's ask the question here, in light of what we do, 
In light of who we are, what do we do? Well, we said last week from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we identified that one of the things is that we are loved, right? That we are loved by God. And that's an amazing thing. So in light of who we are, in light of being loved by God, what, what do we do? And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, and then again in chapter 5, verse 2, we're going we're gonna to read. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's chapter 4, verse 2. And then chapter 5, verse 2 of Ephesians says this. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So what do we do? We love. And, and Paul gives us the example here in Ephesians, like just as Christ loved us, that Christ is our example, that because we are loved by him, we in return love. It's, it's who we are. In fact, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he said this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then if we jump to verse 19, it says this, We love because he first loved us. So it's what we do. That's what John says. Hey, we love because he first loved us. Now, if we tease this out and you start looking through Scripture, uh, first of all, if you just type in like a, a search in your Bible search software, love, in all the variations of love, love, loved, loving, all that, like pages, pages come up. It is the theme of Scripture. And so I know this can be difficult. Oftentimes we, we, we pick who we like to love. Uh, we just say, I'm going to stay away from folks or whatnot. So who do we love? Well, we love God. We love our family. We love our neighbors. We love each other. We love the world around us. We even love our enemies. It's what we do. We love. We are loved, so we love in, re- we love in return. Now, I know that all of us are on, a, uh, on different places, and some of us are really good at this in some arenas and bad in other arenas, and I might be good in the arena that you're bad at, but I'm bad in the arena you're good at. And, and you know, loving uh, some people is difficult, right? And my some people is different than your some people. I might be that some people in your list. Who knows? But there's, there's, no, there's no exclusionary, uh, like, uh, you know, asterisks, hey, except for this, except in this circumstance. Scripture just, no, no, no. We love. That's who we are. That's what we do. We're loved and we love. You're like, man, I was trying to get out of that. I loved the first line, Pastor. I love God. I love my family. I love my neighbors. I even love the people of my church, but man, the, the world and my enemies, come on. Love is the foundation 
and the catalyst for all our action. Anything that you do that's not prompted by love is motivated by something else. We all have a motivation for why we do what we do. And all of our Christian activity uh, should be motivated by love. If it's not, uh, you're, you're either motivated by fear or guilt or pride. You want to be seen and recognized. Whatever that, whatever. Our, but in the purity of the gospel and where God uh, would have us live and operate is that all that we do is motivated by our love for others. And really, in all honesty, if we, if we stopped here and we said, we're going to learn how to love, it would take us a lifetime to figure it out completely, if we could even figure it out completely. But it's a worthy endeavor to love because the Apostle John said this in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. He's quoting Jesus, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So this is what I've shared here, that, that Christ asks us to love because he has loved. And then verse 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I heard a... Uh, um, uh, I was on a podcast this, this week and listening to a minister, and he was telling a story. He, they were in a restaurant with a bunch of ministers and, uh, out west somewhere, and there was one waitress trying to take care of all of them, and, and uh, he wasn't paying the bill, so he wasn't sure if the person paying the bill was a good tipper or not. But anyway, they were, they were kind to her and whatnot, and uh, Towards the end of the dinner, he kind of got up like he was going to the bathroom, and he went off to the side, and he said, hey, I just want you to know, I think you're doing an awesome job with all this, and I want to make, I want to make sure you're taken care of, and he gave her a $100 bill. And she, uh, she thanked him, and she cried, and she said, can I give you a hug? And he's like, well, you know, it's COVID, but I, I guess so, you know. So did all this, and then didn't tell anybody, went back to his seat, and and then uh, another minister there at the table, as they were finishing up, he was like, hey, is there you know, we're, we're getting ready to leave and we're going to pray. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And she stopped and she said, can I ask you guys a question? And, and they was like, what? She said, is this Christianity? And I got to tell you, the world around us is asking that question, is this Christianity? And thank the Lord that their example was one of love. So they were able to say, yes, this is Christianity. But oftentimes, the world is asking, is this Christianity? And they're not getting love. They're getting yelled at. They're getting hate. Right? They're getting, they're getting hypocrisy. They're getting all kinds of things except being loved on. And Jesus said, the world's going to know you're my disciple by your love for one another. And so it's a worthy endeavor to work towards because we want people to be loved and go, is this Christianity? And we go, yes, it is. This is what Christ would do. He would love on you. So what's the, what's the first thing we do in light of being loved? 
we love. Second thing we talked about last week from Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, is we said, we are saved from death to life. We're saved. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul writes this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Jump to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about pursuing transformation. Let me explain it this way because this, I think, creates a lot of confusion in the church. Uh, Nicky Gumbel is a pastor in in England and famous for his leadership uh, in the Alpha Course. And he he wrote this. He said, um, when we talk about being saved, are we talking about the past tense, the present tense, or the future tense? Have we been saved? Are we being saved? Or will we be saved? Right? Because I'm saved. Okay, which are you were, you are, or you will? Yes. And let me explain it. Here it is. You have been saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. So when, when you receive Jesus Christ into, into your life and you trust in his, his blood and you put your faith and your hope in him, you have been saved from the penalty of your sin which we, learn, we know from Genesis, is death. That you'll be eternally separated from, from the Lord. While you're here on earth, you are being saved from the power of sin in your life. That's the transformation piece. We're constantly moving from death to life. That the power sin has on us that drives us to, to things that uh, are, are corrupt and, and lead to death, those habits, those thought processes, those patterns in our life that make us, uh, as the proverb says, as a, as a dog returns to its vomit. Right? Just, just, why do I keep doing these things that are horrible for me? Why do I want to do these things? That's, that's the power of sin in our life. And we're being saved from that when we pursue God over our life and we submit to him working in us. And then the future will be saved from the presence of sin. Which, hallelujah, will go to heaven and will be in a place where there is no sin. Sin won't even have an arena around us. We won't have to struggle with it anymore. So we're saved from the penalty. We're being saved uh, from the power of, and we will be saved from the presence of. So, yes, past, present, future. It's important for you to understand that as a believer because you're living right now in being saved from the power of sin in your life with the hope of being saved from the presence of sin. And so in that that being saved from the power of sin, this is what Paul is talking about. You're being saved from death, from things that lead to death, 
towards things of life. So it's a transformation that happens. And as, so what do we do in response to this? We seek that transformation. And there's lots of behavior. We'll tease that out next week. There's lots of behavior that leads to our transformation. One of those being Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So he talks about when we allow our mind to be transformed, the way we think and operate is different from the world around us. When we're saved from death to life, what do we do? We seek transformation. We seek God to continue to transform us and save us from the power of sin in our life. So our lives begin to to change. They begin to look one way and we begin to move in a direction to where we, we end up reflecting more of who Christ is. We look more like him. We act more like him. So when people see us, they go, is this Christianity? And we reflect God well. Which leads us to our our third thing we talked about last week from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are are God's handiwork. We are his his masterpiece, his work within us. And so part of that that work, it overlaps. The transformation process is we allow the power of God to transform us, right? We're submitting to his plans and his purpose and his will in our life. He's, he's changing us from an old way of life to a new way of life. We're a new creation. And that, that's on display for the world to see, this, this restoration process in our life. That's part of it. But then Paul goes on to talk about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he says this, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Then if we jump to, excuse me, verse 11, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. What is Paul saying here? He says that we put to use what God has given us. That's who we are. In that, it says, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts and measures of grace to individuals. And then God gave the, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, whatnot, to help equip to the people to use that measure of grace to do ministry, to do works of service. So what is he saying is, the thing I gave you, you put to work. You use it. This is talked about in numerous places. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11. All these, because he goes through this whole list, which we're not going to have time to get into today, but... All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. In all of 1st, I encourage you to read 1st Corinthians uh, 12, uh, all of it, 
13, which we all know is popular as the love, it's interesting, he says, uh, he lists all of these gifts, this special grace, this power that's available to you. And then he says, but if you have love, you have nothing. So it's, it's tempered, again, with love. But each one of us has a measure of grace, a gift from God, that needs to be discovered, it needs to be developed, and it needs to be deployed in your life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, he says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is Paul saying? He's like, use those gifts. If you've been given this, then use it. It's who you are. It's given to you to be used and put on display for God's kingdom. Each one in this room and each one of you watching online that has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior has a measure of grace that God has given you to be a part of of the larger body of Christ. And what do we do? We discover what that is. We, we, we pursue a, 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 a knowing and understanding that gift. I'm not going to preach this in detail. We have this coming as well down the next few weeks. We'll talk to you about this, but Who are we? We are his handiwork. We're being transformed into who we are, and then God has given us a special ability to be used. In fact, in Matthew 25 and in Luke 19, both of those Gospels record the story where Jesus tells a parable about the master who gave his servants gifts and then went off for a while and then came back and held them accountable. What did you do with the gift I gave you? Two of them used it and and multiplied. The other one was like, I didn't do anything with it. And there was a penalty for that. Now, I don't want to share that to scare you into using it. What What I'm saying is there's a reward for using your gift. There's an expectation from God that what he's going to, what he gives you, you're going to use that you're going to develop it, that you're going to uh, uh, discover it and then deploy it. I think that's exciting personally. Because this leads us into the fourth thing we talked about from Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 19, that we are part of a larger body. That's exciting. Well, why is that exciting? It's because I can then just focus on who I am and, and, and discover and develop and use what God has given me, and I don't have to worry about all the other pieces. I just have to be me. I don't have to be everybody. I don't have to be everything. I don't have to be something I'm not. I can just be me. In Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 15, 
um, not, so not all of them, 3 and 15, uh, verse 3 says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then in verse 15, he says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Paul's talking about this larger body, right? And he's talking about pursuing uh, unity within that body, and he's talking about pursuing maturity in that body. The unity and the maturity. That it's this bigger piece of working together. You know, there's this quote, um, it's anonymous, not sure who, who said it. Uh, so many uh, different people have used this quote in different contexts. I was hesitant to share it because if you've heard it in a Hindu context, I don't want you to be like, oh, pastor's quoting Hindu things. Like, it's, uh, it's been used so many different ways, but uh, it, it's, it fits what we're talking about here, and that's this. We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. And that's what, in essence, what Paul is talking about here is that I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be able to do everything and be the jack of all trades and understand all the, all the everythings. I, can, I am free. I, can, I am free to be who I am in Christ. Knowing that there are weaknesses around me and other things that have to happen, but, but I know that together, somebody else has that peace. You see, that's the unity and the maturity of the body. That I can focus on my gift, and you focus on your gift, and you focus on your gift, and when I'm strong in my gift, you can lean on me, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it. But then when you're strong in your gift and I'm weak, I can lean on you because you're bringing it. And we're all this, like a well-oiled machine. That's why the references in many parts of Scripture is to, to the body. Talking about different eyes and nose and hands and mouth and everything's different and functions different, but somehow together, man, it really, really works. And so it's important for us to understand that being part of a larger body is that I'm pursuing the unity and the maturity of that body as I am growing personally in my gifting and in my loving and in my individual peace. This is a big part because it requires us for what he said earlier on the love is that it requires us to humble ourselves. It requires some of us to admit that we need help. And it requires some of us to step up and not always taking, but actually contributing. Because you have a strength and you have a peace that you need to give to the body or we are weak without it. Both require humility. Right? We've got to step outside sometimes of this American, I don't need nobody. It's not true. We need each other. I need you. You need me. 
And that's just the way it is. That's who we are. We give and we receive. We build others up and we let others build us up. Right? When they are weak, I am strong. When, they are, when I am weak, they are strong. And we, we learn to, to live in this, in this way of trusting in the gift of grace that God has given others and not trying to be everything for ourselves. Let me wrap this up this morning. I think uh, Ephesians 4.16 is a sentence. Paul kind of includes all of these pieces in here. And he says this. We just read 15, talking about Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I mean, that's the vision right there. Right? From him, meaning we're, we're building all of this on Christ, our, our, our belief, our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ. From him, the whole body, not just faith assembly of God either, uh, every person who places their faith, their hope and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and it builds itself up from the foundation of love as each individual part does what it's supposed to do. That's who we are. So when we ask who we are, or or we know who we are, what do we do as a result of who we are? We love. We pursue transformation. We put to use what God has given us. And we pursue the unity and maturity of the whole body. It's not just about us. What we do affects the body around us. And we keep that context in mind as we as we live our lives, as we pursue transformation, as we love others, as we do these things, we, what we do has an effect. And can I say, why is this important? This is the behavior that changed the world 2,000 years ago. When we read about the, the church in Acts... You see, Paul was alive and operating. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, these these apostles were at work. They were teaching and leading the church in what Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And the church was living this way. They were loving. They were submitting to God's work in their life and being transformed. They They were putting to use the things that God gave them, whether they be monetary things, physical things, whether they be gifts of the Spirit, whether they be skills that they had. They were putting them to use. And they were concerned in pursuing maturity and unity in the whole body, not just themselves or in their little family. And this behavior changed the world 2,000 years ago. It's the same behavior that will change the world today. It may be changing the whole world 
is, is, a, is too big for us to grasp our, our head around. But you know what? It can change your world. If you and me will invest in this kinds of behavior, we will change our world around us. How many people know, really know what it means to be loved like Christ loved us? How many people feel the freedom to really use and develop how God has created me to discover that and put that to work for him? To feel like an intricate part of a body of Christ that they need what God has given me and I need what, what they have as well and, and this flowing and this working and together. I tell you, a group of people who really believe this and live this will change their world. And I pray and hope that we're that group of people. I pray and hope that we will learn to love, that we will submit to God's work in us and be transformed, that we will use the things that God has given us and that we all will pursue the maturity and unity of the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. And because of the work that you and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's continuing to do, uh, it, we've, we've been transformed. We've, we've become a new creation. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. And we are, because of that, we are loved. We are saved. We're your handiwork and we're part of a larger body. And I pray, Lord, as each one of us hears these words and reads them in your word, that we would we'd feel compelled to pick up the things that Paul is talking and make them part of our life. That because of who I am, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love. I'm going to let God transform me. I'm going to put to use what he's given me, and I'm going to seek the maturity and unity of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray as we, as we take these things seriously, as, uh, corporately and individually, Lord, that we will see a transformation happen in our lives personally. We'll see a transformation happen within our, our local congregation. And then, Lord, we'll see a transformation in our community. Lord, we love you so much that you've given us an identity in who we are. And from that identity, we choose to, we choose to do we choose to live a life synonymous with that identity. Lord, I pray as we seek to do that, that your, your Holy Spirit's presence would, would do its work in our life and give us wisdom and power and encouragement and help us overcome the obstacles that come in that way, that come uh, with that life choice. For Lord, we know the devil would not want us to be people like this. So Lord, help us as we set our heart and our mind to live in accordance with your word and what you've called us to. Help us, Lord, down that path we ask in your holy name. Amen. Amen, church. God bless. Great seeing you today. Thanks for joining us uh, online. Um, just a reminder, if, please see Miss Kathy or, or, or my wife Laurie if you are... Uh, 
would like to help with the kids' service on the 27th. Otherwise, we love you. God bless.